Hey, so if you've not been here with us on a deep dive night before, uh, my apologies if tonight is not what you're expecting. Uh, We have committed as a church to doing something every Sunday evening. And my ultimate dream, I I just want to lay it out there, is for the evening service fully to return. Uh, For us to, as a church, do an evening service each and every week. And the only point I'll be able to pull that trigger is when we're able to offer kids' church facilities every week. That for me is then a genuine service because as we're enjoying a church service meeting here, uh, I want to know that our kids are being discipled as well. Uh, And so in the meantime, we're able on the first Sunday of every month to do a night of worship where we get creche workers in. Uh, We actually pay those workers to come in uh, so that they can mind the kids for us and so we can have a larger gathering where that night is a night where we flip things on its head. We we have more worship than word uh, because those nights are intended for that. Then on the second Sunday of every month, we do a prayer chapel, which is a mix of prayer and worship. And then like tonight, the third is what we call deep dive. And so deep dive is an opportunity for me, not so much to preach, okay? Um, For me, preaching is an opportunity to engage our culture where it's at and to attempt to interpret the Scriptures in a way where people in our everyday world could hopefully grasp hold of and understand. And I'm not saying I don't want to do that here tonight, but tonight's focus is more on teaching more on an overview, a snapshot, an understanding of an entire book in the Bible. And what I want to look at tonight, like I mentioned before, is the book of Philippians. But to start at Philippians, I want to start in the book of Acts. So if you have access to Scriptures, whether they're physical or on your device, I would encourage you, if you wouldn't mind, open up for me to the book of Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start here tonight as our setup to the book of Philippians. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And we're actually going to look at the rest of the entire chapter. So it's a bit of, bit of a dig. I'll do my best not to put on my monotone voice and unpack it in a way that makes sense. But I think it's important to start at the beginning of things in Scripture and then work our way through. Because this is where we're introduced to this amazing church that gets started in a city called Philippi. So Philippians is our extended way of saying uh, uh, there was a, a church in a city called Philippi. And Philippi is in modern day um, what they call North, North, Northern Greece. It's a part of the world that they used to call Macedonia. And it's an important part of the world because it's almost like a bridge between Europe and Asia. And it was a critical part of the world during the time of the the, the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures, because it was a major trade route. But it wasn't just connecting the Roman world, it was connecting the Roman world to the world outside of it. And so it was a critical space. And to have a church there in the nation, in the city of Philippi was hugely influential. But the way that it started is so led by the Holy Spirit. We pick up the account in Acts chapter 16 and much of the book of Acts follows on the life of the ministry of a man named Paul. Paul is originally introduced to us as Saul and he's a man who is literally hell-bent on destroying the church. But for a radical encounter with Jesus, leaves his old ways behind. 
and literally lives out repentance. Repentance means to turn around and go in the opposite direction. And so Saul goes from literally trying to kill and destroy the church to over a period of time, which wasn't immediate. Sometimes when we're reading the Scriptures, we think things happened immediately. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they took a decade or more. But in Paul's journey, he moves from Saul to Paul and he becomes the trailblazer of the church at that time. He ends up getting sent out from a local church in a city called Antioch. And he gets sent out as one of the very first ever missionaries. And it's interesting, he does nothing alone. He's sent out with a little team. And as they go out, they do a missionary journey throughout the known world. And they go to places where people have not heard about Jesus before, intentionally to share the Gospel. They faced imprisonment, they faced beatings, they faced extreme oppression. This is not something that you went out on to enjoy a cruise, to enjoy a five-star experience. If Paul wanted that, he should have stayed in Antioch. But he goes out on the front lines. He's a true trailblazer. Somebody who draws his strength, not from the circumstances he's in, but from a call that drives him to live a life that makes a difference. And Paul doesn't just do one missionary journey. He does three in total. And all three of them are recorded in the book of Acts. And during his secondary, second missionary journey, we find him challenged about something that he wants to do, but he can't do. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Well, you feel like there's something that I know I want to do. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's like you keep on getting a closed door, a closed door, a closed door, a closed door. That was Paul in this situation. He knows what it means to experience the things of God. He knows what it means to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But as much as he tried, he kept on coming up against a closed door. And the interesting thing that we see in the account here in the book of Acts chapter 16 that when there is a closed door, maybe it's not a closed door. Maybe it's leading to a new open door. Here's how it breaks out. Acts 16 picks up the account with Paul travelling with some of his disciples. A guy named Timothy's with him. The writer of the book of Acts is a man named Luke. That'll come up importantly in a moment. And it says this in Acts 16 verse 6. And they went through the region of... Now you're going to have to forgive me here. Some of these names are hilarious. Phrygia. Doesn't look like that's how it sounds, but I tested it out. There's this, there's this guy on YouTube who has put up 2,500 odd videos of just these weird names in the Scriptures. So whenever I come across a name, I don't know about you, sometimes I haven't heard these things said, I just read them. And when I've read them over years and years and years, I've come up with my own way of saying them. And sometimes they make the absolutely no connection with reality. So i got to tell you, I, I typed that into YouTube, how to say that name, along with another four that we're about to read. And every one I was wrong. Because I would not have said Phrygia for that word. I would have said, Phrygia? I have no idea how to say that. Phrygia. And I went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word, in Asia, it's modern day Turkey there. They're called Asia, Turkey. Isn't that interesting? Here he is, Paul's out there on a missionary journey and he's been forbidden 
Why would God do that? Surely, does God not love these people in, in, in Asia? Does, does, is there an issue here? Well, what if God's intention was that Paul would not become distracted and he'd actually get led onto what he's been invited into? goes on in verse 7. And when they had come to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, I think, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here we go again. Two closed doors. So passing by Messiah, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision Immediately we sought, it's interesting, it went from they to we. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So first thing I want to say as we set up to the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is frustrated. He's been barred not once but twice from going to a region that he thought was the next stop to go into. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you live a life surrendered to God, Sometimes closed doors lead to open doors. And I know it's frustrating as somebody who's experienced closed doors before. But you've got to allow God to do His work because if you don't, you don't get to step into the open door that He's leading you into. And what's interesting here is it says immediately, Paul gets this vision of Macedonia. Was this like a left field thing? He's trying to go up into what would end up being northern Russia. He's trying to head up north. He's not thinking Macedonia at all. And as soon as he sees this vision, it's interesting. He sees a person. Huh. I wonder if the fuel of the gospel needs to be people. It's interesting. He doesn't see an angel. He doesn't have Jesus appear before him. Paul had already had Jesus appear before him. What Paul sees in a vision is a person crying out. What if the fuel of the gospel is people and always has been? And Paul sees a desperate person crying out to receive the good news of Jesus. And Paul immediately pivots. says immediately. So when you get a closed door, you can't move. But when you get an open door and you know it's God, move. Don't hesitate. Move. Goes on to say, in verse 11, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, oh my gosh, Samothrace. I have no idea if that's correct. And following the, the, day, and, and the following day to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Let me just pause there. As it says, they remained in this city some days. Philippi is the significant city in the region because it had been occupied by Rome for a number of years. It was critical because it was almost like a, a basin that had mountains sort of bridging around it over extended territory. But it was a, a stopgap on this amazing trade route that went into Asia. It connected literally Europe with Asia. Critical spot. And what's interesting in my little studies on the city was it used to be 
overflowing with gold and silver. It was, it was a significant place where you could go and mine precious minerals. But over decades of um, uh, 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 dragging out of the soil, there was nothing left. It was exhausted. It was an exhausted city. But it's interesting that even though it was exhausted of minerals, because of its placement, it was critical. See, sometimes in our exhaustion, placement matters. Sometimes we have nothing to draw upon and all we can do is be placed in the best position possible and that brings life to us. And so the city of Philippi always had life because of where it was positioned. And so Paul goes here and says they remained in this city some days. And what's interesting is that as you read it through, the beginning of this portion of Scripture, the writer says they went down, they went down, they went down. And then from here on, it becomes we. Because the writer of the book of Acts, a man named Luke, who was a physician, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and then followed that up with the account of the book of Acts. And Acts means the Acts of the Apostles, the accounts of those who followed Jesus. This man, Luke, ends up joining the journey. And it seems like he ends up staying in the city of Philippi for a number of years from here. It says in verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed, where we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It's interesting that Paul's pattern when he would plant churches would be he'd go into cities and he'd look for a synagogue. And a synagogue was the meeting of the Jews of that region or the people of Jewish descent. And the synagogues were critical to the Jewish people because it's a place that they would engage together to attempt to protect their culture from the big bad world around them. And Paul felt compelled to go to the Jews first because he was one. And the Jews were originally God's chosen people. It's a line through which Jesus Christ had a family to be born into, a tribe to come out of, and a nation of history to fulfil. So Paul's pattern out of honour and love was always to go to the Jews first. But it's interesting, Philippi is a city without a synagogue. There was no Jewish representation. And so he ends up going outside the city to the riverside. And it's interesting that the church in Philippi is actually started out of a prayer meeting. A prayer meeting of women, most likely businesswomen, who are meeting together, who are not Jewish by descent. It says God-fearing women. That means that they were women who were born outside the promises of God, who are seeking God. Imagine that in a city where there was no Jews. Nobody to this point had come to talk about Jesus. Paul was the first and they are desperately searching for this God. They're not searching in the city because they can't find him anywhere there. They're out there in a prayer meeting by the side of the river. Powerful things can come out of prayer meetings. The church in Philippi was born out of a prayer meeting that Paul gate crashes. 
Because these people are searching for God. We're about to see three key people that became the opening building blocks of this church in Philippi. So the first person we see is this woman named Lydia. And it says that Lydia is a seller of purple. Purple doesn't sound like much to us today, but in the culture of that time, purple was the colour of royalty. It was significant. What she was, was a seller in the finest of cloth. Critical, expensive. She was a wheeler and dealer. And yet here she is as somebody searching for God. As a reminder to me as a local church here in the city of Rockingham, that we have to do everything that we can to keep our doors enlarged, our hearts enlarged for people searching. The very first person to come to faith in the Philippians church was somebody who had been searching. We must always keep ourselves available. And it's interesting that this person found God searching in a prayer meeting. People need to encounter God for themselves. Searchers must encounter God. Searchers are longing for an experience with God. And so Lydia sets the scene, but it doesn't stop there. Goes on to say, as we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. This is in verse 16. Who had a spirit of divination. Some translations say python. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. What an interesting culture to be in. I know that might sound strange to us today where, you know, you have to be watching television. If anybody still watches normal free-to-air TV, I don't know if that's a thing anymore. All my kids do is watch <laughs> streaming services. But, you know, you can watch TV and see those horoscope things after midnight and stuff like that. But imagine being in a culture where a girl who has a, what the Bible calls a spirit of divination, what does that mean? Can tell the future, a fortune teller who is a slave. She's not free. So I wonder what had happened to her to have this spirit take root in her. She's owned by people and they're making money off the fortunes that she tells. Imagine this girl walking around the streets of Philippi, attempting to earn money for her owners by telling people's fortunes and futures. And imagine that not being strange. Imagine that being a part of day-to-day culture. This is where Philippians takes root. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. What does that mean? She was legit. She was real. There was something really at action in her, but it was not the Spirit of God. Goes on to say, She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, sounds true. And this she kept doing for many days. Imagine that, this girl's crying out as these people are walking around Philippi, attending to lead people to faith in Jesus. And there's this hysterical little girl screaming at the top of her lungs. Listen to these people. And everything that she says is true, but it's a distraction. Sometimes the greatest things we have to overcome are the distractions set before us. 
And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. When did you become annoyed, Paul? Was it after the first day, the second day, the third day? It says many days. At some point he became annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit. Notice says to the Spirit, not the girl. Said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul was aware where he drew his strength from to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas who had been travelling with him and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. I just need to pause there for a minute. Philippi was a city that took very seriously that they were a colony of Rome. See, they were on the frontiers. They were on the edge. They were like the Western Front. And because they were a city that represented Rome, if you lived there and you had enough money, you were able to apply and become a Roman citizen, which in that culture meant that you had free reign. It was hard to get into if you weren't born into it. You had to be outstandingly rich or outstandingly connected. Because if you were on the outside looking in in that culture, that meant you missed out on so, so much. See, if you were a Roman, you weren't allowed to get whipped. You weren't allowed to be crucified. If you got arrested, you had a right to have somebody represent you so you weren't unfairly treated. Now, if you were not Roman, all those things happened to you. You were whipped, you were crucified, you were unfairly treated. You were treated like less than zero. But if you were Roman, that was gold. And they took very seriously that they were a frontier city. They took great pride in this, that they were the ones civilised and everybody else was not. And so it was very important to them to protect their ways. The crowd joined in attacking them, Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. Why were they put in jail? Because they cast an evil spirit out of a kid. They didn't punch anybody. They didn't steal anything. This kid had been following Paul for multiple days. He finally got annoyed, cast the spirit out, bang, done, locked up. This is the second person that seems to be impacted by the church in Philippians, the slave girl. And this is what it says to me, that God is reaching out for the searchers, but He's also reaching out for those enslaved. So here's the purpose of a church. To be the biggest front door, open door possible for the searchers so that they can encounter God for themselves. And also to be available to help those enslaved to find freedom. So sometimes we come across searchers. Sometimes we come across the enslaved. Did the girl want to follow Paul around incessantly? No. She was a slave, not just to the owners who owned her, but to the spirits that ruled her. And she found freedom. And for that, the world turned against Paul. See, our message does not resonate sometimes with the world around us. It is different. 
There is pressure. But does that make it any less right to persevere? So Paul is in jail with Silas. And it says this. Now I'll finish this section and you'll see how this makes sense when we get to the book of Philippians. It says in verse 25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What an amazing thing. They were in jail for doing nothing wrong. They're not wallowing in their self-pity. They're not complaining about their choices in life. Paul is not saying to Silas, man, I wish God had let us go to the north instead of Macedonia. Man, this sucks. Man, I wish I never saw that vision. Look what happens when you follow a vision from God. You end up in jail. They're praising God in the midst of it because they know what's being built there in Philippi is worth it. He's willing to lay down everything. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds, not just theirs, everyone's, everyone's, everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See, that was required. A life for a life. You stuff up, you deserve to die. And he is fully ready to do this because if he didn't, it meant that his family was going to have to pay the price. Is he an evil man? No. But he's in a difficult position. Verse 28, But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself for we are all here. I wonder what happened there. Did Paul say we're not running away? It's interesting. It opens up. They have freedom available Like Shawshank Redemption, he doesn't have to go through a pile of poop to get out. The door is open. But he stays. Why does he stay? Because Paul saw a vision of a man from Macedonia. And what if people are the fuel of the gospel? And what if Paul knew by leaving, this man would have to forfeit his life? And what if Paul was willing to die himself so that this person didn't have to die? What if there's a strength that we can draw upon that means that in these types of moments, we don't feel hopeless? But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in, trembling with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas because he knew if they were not there, he was dead. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? He can't deny that this is a move of God. Paul's already reached the seller who was searching, the slave girl enslaved to spirits. And now he's reaching the jailer who is trapped in the world that he was within. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe and the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved in your household. That was a prophetic declaration because his household was saved because of the change in him. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them to that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Total transformation. Then he brought them up to his house, set food before them. They're still in jail. They're still prisoners. 
and he feeds them of his own resources. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before him, and he rejoined and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And it was day the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. Paul was a Roman citizen. He'd been unjustly treated, but allowed them to do it so that he could entrap them. He put his entire body on the line so that he could stand there in this moment and say, joke's on you. I'm one of you. You've just broken your own law. What an amazing thing that this man was so passionate about people receiving Jesus that he was willing to put up with physical discomfort, to say the least, because he could have opted out at any moment. But if he had opted out, the jailer and his entire family would never have received Jesus and the miracle would not have flowed. Sometimes when we opt out of things too early, we miss out on the miracles that God wants to do in and through it. They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Oh, man, you were getting me knocked up. No, <laughs> let them come themselves and take us out. I want to be escorted. I want a song and a dance. I want you guys to know you done wrong. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them. We're so sorry for beating the snot out of you. We really are. Like, yep, when you got beaten by rods and I watched it happen, it was fun in the moment, but I feel really bad about it now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. That is the beginning of the Philippian church. The seller who searches Lydia, the slave girl enslaved to spirits and the jailer who was trapped in his world, who was set free because somebody was willing to lay down their life for him. Three people, three encounters sets up the scene for this amazing church called Philippians. Can we have a look at the book now? Is that okay? I'm sorry, I got stuck there. Is that okay? See, context matters. Context matters because as we get to the book, now hopefully you can see why Paul writes the letter the way that he writes. Because he's building off his encounters there. And we will not take too long with this, but I'll do my best to unpack it. Okay, so the book of Philippians, when I read books in the Bible, I sort of mark in, this is my study Bible where I sort of just scribble everything there. Uh, I, I write down for myself just so I understand what each book sort of represents as a main theme. And uh, there's different books, the book of this, the book of that. For me, the book of Philippians is the book of joy. Joy is mentioned 16 times in the book. 
When this book was written, as many years after Paul's visited there, he's now in jail. It's about 62 AD. He's locked up. He is now following through. He is on trial for the gospel. And he, at any point, could be either executed or released. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And he writes one of four books that he ends up sending out during this time when he's in prison. We're not sure quite exactly where he was at this time. May have been in Rome, could have been in Ephesus, but he's definitely in jail. And he's in jail because he's done something illegal. He's told people about Jesus. Imagine that. Actually, I I can imagine that. When I lived in Cambodia, there were 10,000 Christians in the city of Phnom Penh prior to the coming of the Khmer Rouge in 1975. After the Khmer Rouge took over that nation, the Khmer Rouge are the Red Cambodians. Uh, They represented the communist regime. A third of the nation was decimated, leaving, they expect, three Christians left. It was illegal to be a Christian, among other things. They would kill people that wore glasses because they said you don't need to read if you're farming rice. Still, it happens today in our world where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. Right now, in Syria right now, I know for a fact that people go door to door trying to hunt out Christians meeting together. And what they'll do to attempt Christians to stop meeting together is they'll get their families out with their children and at gunpoint have people renounce Jesus, otherwise the children die. That is reality in the world that we live in. We don't get to experience, but others do. And so Paul is in jail. This is not a good experience. He is suffering. He could be executed at any point. And yet he writes a book that is predominantly focused on joy. What a middle finger to to disillusionment and despair. Just think about it. Think about all the things that you would write down as your last letter before you could potentially cark it. And he writes a book that is predominantly filled with the thought of what is joy and what difference does that make? What a challenge. And so I just want to just highlight a couple of key scriptures. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Just a couple of key scriptures just to get a feel for this book. Because this book is very different to the other books that he's written. Many of the other books that Paul had written were trying to combat direct issues in the life of that local church. Not so for Philippians. Philippians is sort of like Paul being a bit like jazz hands. He's jazzed. Because what has happened is as he's in prison and as he's suffering, the church in Philippi has sent one of their core members, Eraphidus, all the way to where Paul is to bring with him a financial gift that they have raised up themselves a significant financial gift so that Paul's treatment in jail could be much better than it was. That gift would have been used for bribes or things like that to get the resources to Paul that he needed so that he could be much more comfortable and not suffer so much. Paul is jazzed. He's jazzed that this church has not forgotten him. And he goes in throughout this book to say that this gift that I've received is amazing, but I did not expect it. 
In fact, he makes a point of saying, I, I, I didn't expect it to the point of, it wasn't like I was pining after it. I, I didn't need it. But gosh, now that I've got it, it's amazing. And this man, Araphidus, comes and ministers on, to Paul on behalf of the church in Philippi. And Paul says, that man was a blessing to me. Again, people are the fuel of the gospel. Turns out that Araphidus comes to visit Paul. He gets sick somehow, almost dies. And Paul writes how God had great mercy on him by, by allowing Araphidus to recover and be healed. But here's Paul, jazzed, writing a letter to go back with Araphidus so that they would get up. And this is what they do. They get up in their local church settings. They didn't have a video screen to show and they would read the letter out. So it was using the technology of the day. It was like a YouTube message. Hey guys, I've got a message from Paul. He's in jail, but he's jazzed. You want to hear it? And so Arapidus would have gotten up in a church gathering to read this book. And if you listen to it audio on an audio Bible, it takes about 20 minutes to get through. So imagine that in a service. That would have been the message of the day. And that's what we have a snapshot of. And Paul's book here in Philippians is so different to his other books because he's so blessed by their love for him. He almost can't contain it. And so instead of some of the other books where he's trying to correct false things, he sort of just weaves in and out some different ideas. And so I just want to pinpoint some of them, if that's okay. First one is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. This is what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few things I want to highlight here. Paul never ministered alone. When we allow ourselves to get isolated, we do lose our way. All of Paul's ministry involved people serving with people. In Philippi originally, he's got Silas there, Timothy, Luke is there with him. And here, even in jail, he's not allowing jail to stop in ministry and he's got Timothy with him. Do not allow isolation to settle in. I was talking to Julie before who leads an outstanding connect group. Connect groups are critical because it allows us to connect in and out and dig into things in deeper ways. Connect together, have a coffee, build a connection, reach out. Don't do faith alone. If Paul needed it, why not us? But he goes on to say, and there's two very important points that I wanted to highlight here, besides the fact of don't do it alone, is that he says that him and Timothy are servants. And some translations would say bond servants. And I'm so sorry, my writing is terrible. But it helps me think. Um, Bond servants. And here's the deal. In that culture, there was slavery. In that culture, there was uh, uh, people who had been dominated, ruled, who had lost their rights and been brought in and forced to be slaves of people who owned them. And, and there wasn't much you could do. Sometimes you could work off your debt and get free or somebody could pay you or, or buy you and, and set you free. But there was situations where people could enter into slavery to pay off their debts and then when they got free, they could choose instead of going free from the family they were serving to freely serve the family out of an act of choice. 
And what they would do in that culture is they would get their ears and they would go to the, the, the front door of the house and they would pierce their ears to the door. They wouldn't stay there. It was just a, it was a physical sign that they were choosing to become what was called a bond servant, a servant of love, a servant who chose to stay. And Paul uses that word to describe his relationship to Jesus. He's a bond servant. He's a servant of choice. He's a servant of choice because he understands what Jesus has done for him. And the very least he could do would be to give his life to Jesus. And it's interesting that Paul could have used many other terms to refer to himself. He's the apostle, the sent one. He's the founder of the church. But he doesn't use those titles He simply calls himself a servant. What if the greatest title for anybody in the kingdom of God is a servant of Jesus? Do you know in the kingdom of God, leadership is meant to work from the bottom up? Very different to the world outside where it works from the top down. In the kingdom of God, it's meant to be the bottom up. If you want to be a leader, serve people. Serve people and love them well as Jesus has shown us. He also says grace and peace from the God our Father. I just want to highlight that quickly. Paul often opens his letters with grace and peace. Why does he do that? Well, grace was the greeting typically in the Greek world. Grace to you. Peace was the greeting in the Jewish world. It's interesting that he brings the two together in one. What he does is he's showing how the gospel combines the worlds. All of us can be one in Christ. And it's interesting that you only get peace because grace is extended. Grace is unmerited favour. Grace is a gift that you did not earn. Uh, There's no way you could have earned it, but because of grace, you get peace. And that's how he starts his letter. Let me go on if that's okay. Uh, And if it's not, then we'll be wrapping it up soon. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 11. So again, Paul is jazzed and as he's jazzed, he opens up this letter, which was meant to be read publicly and he opens it up with a prayer. And so listen to this prayer that Paul prays over the church in Philippi in Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Remember people of the fuel. For you all are partakers with me of grace. He's not excluded from them. He's there with them both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so you may approve what is the excellent and be pure and blameless before the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The one thing I just wanted to highlight quickly is Paul begins his prayer with thankfulness. And I want to remind you, he is in jail and he has suffered. And to kick off his prayer, he is praising God for what? For these people. People are the fuel. 
You know, I want to encourage you, do this experiment when you pray next time. Start with thankfulness. Start with thanking God and then start thanking God for the key people in your world. And see what that opens up in your prayer world. Because from there, Paul builds almost the energy to start praying the deeper things. I wonder if thankfulness is our way in. If it was for him, why not for us? I want to just open up there quickly. Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. This is a scripture. Again, this is the first book I ever read as a new Christian. I didn't know all the context, but this was the verse that really stuck out to me. It says this in verse 21 of chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall not choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What I love is that he was facing death, yet he was not scared. He knew what his inheritance was and is Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he was in a no-lose situation. Sometimes we say, I'm in a no-win situation. Paul here in prison facing death was in a no-lose situation. For me to live is Christ, meaning if he was set free, he'd just go back to what he was doing anyway. Go ahead, put me in jail. I got beaten by rods. I don't care. For me to live is Christ. People are my fuel. I'll get straight back to it and I'll live it up. It's amazing. Let me tell you the story of how I met Lydia down by a prayer meeting by the river and she encountered God. And from her, we started a church in a city that had never heard about Jesus before. Or the little slave girl who was just nattering on for days and days and days. And for some reason, I got sick of it and I cast the spirit out. And because of that, I got locked in jail, but it led to the jailer coming to Christ. And that church had the best start ever. For me to live is Christ. I'll just go back to it. The adventure is real. There's something to live for. But you know what? This is out of my control. And if they execute me, I don't care. Because I'll be in God's presence. It was so real to him that there was no room for fear. What a challenge. All right, let me finish up. A few more key scriptures here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. A lot is taken into account of Philippians chapter 1 because... Paul is, again, I think just so jazzed that he's getting everything out at once. And again, it's important. Some of the other letters he wrote was to combat direct issues that he builds a case. Philippians, he's just sort of like spewing forth how happy he is. And so he gets a lot out in the beginnings. But this one I can't move past. And it says in verse 27 of chapter 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I just, yeah, come on, that's real. That's a prayer for us today. May we live that out. But what what I wanted to just highlight there, he says, worthy, men are worthy. I I, got to just say, 
That word that's translated worthy in the ESV, which I'm reading from tonight, is a Greek word, axio, axios, I should say. And that is a very hard word to translate into English. See, virtually most English translations turn that word into six words. A manner worthy of. Or, or, or extend it. They cannot explain it word for word because what it means is appropriate living, responsible living, a response living because of. It's really hard to explain. And what Paul's saying to this church in Philippi, who were living on the frontiers of the wild, wild world, and they were, they were proud of the fact that they were Romans. And so they lived like Romans on the edge. And he's saying to this church, Live like followers of Jesus on the edge. Do not allow it just to be lip service. Allow it to be lived out with the very way you live your life. He's challenging them. Now, I think getting to the crux of the Scripture. All right, two more Scriptures and then we'll wrap it up. So, no. Oh, guys. I want to... I want to allow you to keep going. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 11. And Greg, we'll do one more scripture after this if I could invite you up to seal the deal, if that's okay, just because you're stuck around. And <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll do this scripture one more and then we'll, we'll, we'll seal it. Now here... Again, talking about Philippians being like jazz hands, everything actually gets up to this portion. This is the core of the book. It's like Paul grabs hold of this idea that I'm about to read and that's what everything in the book's leading up to and everything flows out of this. And what Paul grabs hold of in the book of joy is who Jesus is and what that means for us. So I want you to listen to this as if... You're receiving it as ministry. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everything about Paul's life is boiled up in that. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus is God. He is the creator of all things, yet He chose to be born as a human being. You know, He could have just come down from heaven and said, hey, I'm the star man and follow me. Like, he, he could have literally just landed on earth, fully formed, just walked down a staircase from heaven 
dancing and singing with 10,000 angels around him. No, the plan of God is that he would be born, God in flesh, who knows what it means to be hungry, to be tired, to potentially be mistreated, to suffer, to experience the brokenness of the world all the way from childhood up just like us. Because Jesus is God with us. And do you know that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in the book of Acts, that for the rest of eternity, there is a man in the Godhead. There is a man. For the rest of eternity in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is a man. Jesus is still a man today. He's a resurrected man. He is a, a re- restored man. He is, he is, he's a perfect man. But he's still a man, a human being, God in flesh, still today. It's the reason why he sent his Holy Spirit, because God, in choosing to be flesh as Jesus, is still only at one place at one time. But by his Spirit, he's everywhere. That's how it all works together. He laid it aside so that we can live in him. And let's go to the final scripture. And Greg, would you mind just... How great. We'll just finish with the chorus. I do have a few notes here. Which one will I go for? You know what? I'm going to go for, finish it up with Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 9. Oh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. Philippians 4, 4 to 9. This, I think, is the cure for anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there's thanksgiving again, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practise these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It's interesting that He seals the deal on the book where He's jazz, where He's talking about joy. But I think giving the remedy to anxiety is how you remedy anxiety. Unpack it. Don't lock it down. Don't stuff it down. Unpack it. Let me encourage you. It's good to unpack with people. Do that and unpack it with God. Be honest. Be raw. Be real. Lay it out. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Okay, so in everything, be, be thankful and, and, and process and allow God to meet us wherever we're at. And Paul goes on to say, and you know what? While you're there, start thinking about the good. We heard this morning, Rhiannon landed the word this morning, um, the worship time, with a thought about gratitude. You know that gratitude lubricates the mind. It, it, it allows us to engage with life properly instead of disengaging. And Paul here is giving a remedy. 
for disengaging from life. Again, he's in jail. He has been disengaged from life. He's locked away. He can't get out. He's stuck, but he's free. How's he free? He's free because he's rolling with all the things he's grateful. What's he grateful for? He's grateful for the Philippian church. He's grateful not just for the church, he's grateful for the people because people are the fuel. He saw a vision of a man in Macedonia crying out and he allowed his plans to be hijacked so he could go and he faced it. And this amazing church that just blessed him was given birth. That's what inspires me. And we are a local church here in the city of Rockingham. May we be a blessing to the region around us. May we be like a Raphidus going into the broken places, bringing gifts with us in the love of God that causes people to be brought out from an enslaved environment, imprisoned environment into the freedom that God's made available in Christ Jesus because it is real, more realer than anything else. And I wanna encourage you as you head into your week from this deep dive, Take the depths with you. Dive into the same thing that Paul drew from. He says in Philippians 4.13, For I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can too.